Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down another week of the NRL that was, and my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, Eels stole the win, it feels like, uh, on probably different fronts, depending on whose colours you're wearing. Uh, I think it was a good comeback from Parramatta. Other fans might disagree, but how are we doing this week as we gear, we gear up Sorry for a trip up to Brisbane for the NRL and NRLW? Well, first of all, it was a win. And ultimately, you say to yourself after a game, which dressing room do you think the players would rather be in? I think that's a straightforward answer. It was. It wasn't the the manner of the win wasn't ideal for the Eels, but they got the two points. And right now, that's all I really care about. So uh, I'm in a relatively good mood in terms of how Par- as far as Parramatta is concerned. However, we've got some things that we're going to talk about where I'm probably going to fire up. So I give fair warning, mate. <laughs> and Quint, uh, I don't know how you're going to follow that one up, mate. But how are you holding together? Yeah, look, I'm not too bad, but gents, I'm I'm, I'm still hanging about and waiting for um, Graham Annesley's um, uh, presser from uh, post round three, where he uh, acknowledges the incorrectly called forward pass for the Regan Cam- Campbell Gillard uh, no try against Manly that denied us the win. You know, seeing as though this is a topical thing, and we're all talking and pointing the finger at Graham Annesley. Graham Annesley said in terms of uh, how results should or shouldn't have gone. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not too dissimilar to 60s. I'm a little bit fired up, and we'll, uh, pop up and we'll probably hear a bit more of that as we uh, get into this pod. <laughs> and before we get into stoking the flames of our controversy and, I suppose, robust discussion, a quick shout-out to the sponsors of the tip sheet. As always, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellon, and Parramatta, helping us pump out these episodes each and every week. All right, fellas, I'm going to put the signal out now. Well, fellas, just before we get into the big NRL news and the big Eels news, a bit of sad information to pass on to our listeners is the passing of Michael Collins. Michael was Eels player number 383. He will forever be in Parramatta Eels club folklore because he was brought into the team for the Tooth Cup final in 1980 because Michael Cronin, believe it or not, had been suspended for that match and they needed a goal kicker. It was an astute replacement because the Eels won eight points to five against the Tigers to take out the title. And it was, uh, apart from a a pre-season competition win uh, earlier in the 70s, this was Parramatta's first senior title that they took out with the midweek cup as it was uh, then called the tooth cup. And uh, Michael kicked four goals to register every one of Parramatta's points that night, the eight points. Uh, Michael only played three first grade games with the Eels, but 
he's certainly one that will stay in the history books for Parramatta. It was uh, sad to hear of his passing only uh, the other, well, only earlier today that we heard about that. I think it was only overnight. Uh, it's it's quite topical considering that we just had the BGA annual Eels reunion and to hear about a former Eel who holds a place in uh, the Eels history books passing away was uh, a bit of sad uh, news indeed. And, of course, we extend our sympathies and all of our thoughts from uh, the Cumberland Throw to uh, the family and friends of Michael Collins. So at um, at this sad time, we are thinking of you. Uh, fellas, I also just touched on the Blue and Gold Alliance Eels player reunion that took place over the weekend. It was, it was a big event 40, as you and I can testify, because it was held across the entire weekend. It kicked off with the luncheon on Saturday at Parramatta Leagues Club in Jack's Bar and Grill. That's our regular haunt on match days. And uh, thanks, of course, to the Eels and also to Parramatta Leagues for their funding and sponsorship, respectively, of the Blue and Gold Alliance and the fantastic work they do as a not-for-profit organisation, um, assisting and connecting former Eels players and staff. It then rolled into Sunday with the brunch in Eels Lane at Parramatta Leagues Club, and there are a few few more players, former players there on that day, and... um, they enjoyed uh, a bit of a feed and a drink and a, and a catch-up before they headed over to Combank Stadium and as supporters at the match would ha- would remember, they did their lap of honour before the Eels match against the Dragons. So it was a big weekend for them. A big weekend for you, John, in your role in the reunion, taking the official photos on the day. And, um, and we're also fortunate that uh, a number of players uh, came over and spent a bit of time to uh, have a bit of a chat with me, and we recorded those so that our listeners can have a bit of, bit of a listen to some players from yesteryear talk about the uh, reunion and also a few memories from the past for them. So a big weekend. Uh, how, how did you um, recover from such a weekend, John? i, I got to say, I was quite exhausted at the conclusion of uh, Sunday afternoon. It had been... Uh, go, 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 sort of Saturday and Sunday. Not complaining, though, because, you know, you're in rarefied company and it's really, you know, really special to be a part of something like the BGA reunion luncheon. So uh, certainly no complaints, like I said, but, yeah, fantastic weekend. Uh, you know, the BGA is such a wonderful initiative. Uh, everyone involved there, uh, it's like, they're just so pure. Like, it, they're so, yeah. so well-intentioned, uh, such great people. Uh, you know, championing such a fantastic cause, you know, to reconnect all of the, the people that make the rich tapestry of the Parramatta Reels and, you know, ensure that they can catch up and, and be better for it. So, uh, you know, very uh, consider myself and, and both you and myself, are, you know, very lucky to be part of it uh, and always fantastic to be there or any of the other events. So to have that happen and then back that into a, you know, not necessarily beautiful, but, uh, you know, a, a needed victory in the NRL. Uh, it was a pretty good weekend. Yeah, and just a, a shout-out again to Billy Richards of the Blue and Gold Alliance and his committee because those sorts of big events, and especially a weekend event, 
don't just happen because uh, they were coordinating in uh, not just those days, but the accommodation around it for the players who were travelling from interstate or from or from some distance to be able to stay overnight if they wish to on either the uh, the Friday, Saturday or, or Sunday nights. Um, I know there are a few sore heads after Saturday because some of the boys <laughs> kicked on to establishments away from uh, the league's club after finishing an extended lunch at the club <laughs> on Saturday. So, yeah, there, there are a few that were a bit dusty on Sunday morning. They put their hand up, they were a bit dusty. But, uh, <laughs> look, it was... It was terrific, um, and as I said, the 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 work that the committee does to to get that done, and um, I know he doesn't, I know he doesn't like to um, have us say his name, but our mate Jeff did plenty of work around that as well. Uh, Mel from uh, Mel Brazel from the Eels, mm-hmm. she was an absolute legend as well for um, for getting it coordinated from uh, the club's perspective as well, um, and and everyone on that committee, uh, I, I had the pleasure of sitting in on a meeting in the lead up to their reunion, uh, just to, uh, you know, finalize our part that we were doing in the, in the weekend. And, uh, yeah, I, look, the, as I said, the amount of time and the fact is that, you know, these people are volunteering, uh, in this not for, not for profit organization in, in that important job of keeping people connected because, you know, that's what it's all about. You, you, the first step in being able to help people or assist people if they need it is to stay connected and find out, you know, who who needs it. It might not be them. It might be someone else that they know. And then when they keep this, it, as these connections grow, it, it, it makes it even more important. And next year they're aiming for a big Back to Parramatta Day where they get everyone who's been involved with Parramatta at a graded level back on the one day. Now, I'm not sure where they're going to end up hosting them because that would be some sort of occasion, but it's their goal for next year and they're already working on it. So we wish them well with that. But one thing before we move on, people can help and get involved with this because there's some great supporter merchandise available through the BGA if you go to their website, which is uh, au, and go to the store and they've got uh, merchandise. John, you were wearing uh, one of their supporter jackets. It's a, a pretty good-looking jacket, as, as you would no doubt uh, attest to. And, it's, um, and they've got great polos, uh, shorts, hoodies. Um, they've got an eels bag, uh They've got the uh, bucket hats. So all of that's available. And if, if people purchase that, that helps contribute to the fundraising that they do. And also any potential sponsors out there who are interested in associating with the, this great organisation and the, who does such great work for former Eels players and staff. So um, just get in touch with the, with, uh, the Blue and Gold Alliance. Uh, Billy Richards would love to hear from you. And uh, the, yeah, it, it would be a great thing that you can do if you're either purchasing merchandise or looking to sponsor them. So, uh, fellas, uh, I think it's about time now that, John, you hit that stinger. Look, you can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious! 
fellas, where, where do we begin now? We're talking about Sunday's results, uh, Sunday's match, and I, I don't know whether to begin with what actually transpired out on the field or Graham Annesley's reaction to it, because, I mean, it, they're both as bad as one another. <sighs> Explain to me in what world that tackle from Clint Gutherson could be adjudged as an intentional strip, one-on-one strip, which then entitled the Dragons to pick up the ball and score a try. I mean, I, I look at that and I go, okay, because Annesley, in his um, press thing today, showed just still basically still framed where Gutherson's hand ended up near the ball and said, have a look. Have a look at his raking motion there. Well, Graham Annesley, have a look at the start of that tackle where Clint Gutherson is up around the shoulder. His head's tucked behind the back of the player. He's not looking at the ball. (laughs) He is not even looking at the ball. He's attempting to make a tackle. And then in attempting to make the tackle, his, his hand slides down the arm. Now, yeah, it, it ended up a great result because it made contact with the ball and out it came. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing. He was making a tackle, and every time we get, the judgments are made on these tackles, it's all about what what the players, what the players are looking at, uh, whether they're actually in the act of making a tackle. He's trying to tell us that Clint Gutherson wasn't in the act of making a tackle. Or that he changed his mind part way through. You play that at normal speed and try yeah, and determine whether last, he's last line of defense for Wack diving at full stretch, like you said, his head's on the blind side of a tackle. He makes no attempt to try and regrip and find the football. He's he's literally falling down because he's diving full stretch and the hand gets to the first thing he gets purchase on and it's the ball. So if we're honest to God calling that an intentional strip, then we need to change the rules in the game that anytime there is a hand on the football and it comes out, regardless of ball security uh, responsibilities, it's a strip. No, I tell you the change that we need to make, John and Clint, the change we need to make is that reaffirmed. It just confirmed that Graham Annesley is not the person that should be in that job. Because if he's issuing a directive to referees that they got that wrong, that'll do me. I mean, there's question marks over his decisions over referees' decisions all season. I feel sorry for the referees because what Mm. the hell are they supposed to be doing? How would they know whether they're Arthur or Martha when they get directives like that from the bloke heading it up? I mean, that was a disgraceful statement to make today, a, a disgraceful explanation of why the refs got it wrong. The refs actually got it 100% right and this bloke is telling them that they got it wrong. It, it's it's an absurdity, fella. It is a complete absurdity. And he has stamped his name as someone that just should not be in that position anymore. Just abs- I mean, he's probably stamped it many times this year. But you know what? The trouble is he's going to remain in that job. And we've got plenty of other things to take issue with. Clint, did you want to add anything to it? Or, or, or am I just losing... No, <laughs> no, not at all. What I do want to add is I'm sick and tired of there being interpretations and it's it, it slowly crept in over probably the better part of the last 
half a decade to decade um, of, of rule interpretations that is favoring um, poor ball security. Um, you know, if, if, if they deserve to score a try there, and, and you know, it, let's, let's be honest, um, Jacob Little in, in that scenario was, was very well placed to assist in scoring a try or even potentially scoring himself. And he bundled it, <laughs> you know? And we want to say, oh, yeah, but he's the aggrieved because there was an attempt to strip. And you, and you, you gents have already touched on how it wasn't a strip. You know, we, we, we just seem to be focusing as, as a game, or at least in, um, um, in, in the football office of, uh, at NRL head office, of rewarding players for poor ball security. We, we're we're, we're micro-analyzing every frame of play. And the fact of the matter is the players just aren't securing the ball well, you know, and they, they shouldn't be rewarded for that, um, let alone, let alone a, a, um, a motherhood statement made after the game. And, and what if, what if, to extend on that point that you, you, you mentioned about the referees, geez, it must be undermining um, for a referee. Could you imagine uh, an employer in any, any other um, industry um, consistently weekly going, well, this is, this is where my employees got it wrong and, you know, going out there to placate um, you know, whether it's the media or the fence. And, you know, again, empty statements because, okay, let, let's, let's entertain the argument from the other side of the coin for, for, for half a second and say that, okay, maybe he was right. Well, if, if, even if he was, that doesn't change anything for the Dragons fans. Uh, we've been on, on the end of it ourselves earlier this year. You know, I, I made a joke earlier about Regan Campbell-Gill, and, and that wasn't even um, that 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 uh, forward pass ruling or non-forward pass ruling wasn't even cited in his presser. You know, it, it, it's all a bit farcical. Um, I'm getting sick and tired of the weekly press conferences, and you know, r- r- rather than coming out and saying, "Oh, you know, th- th- this is what we, um, you know, th- this was the, the the wrong call, this was the wrong interpretation." We, we are all, all crying out for just consistency in that interpretation because the fans will lay off once they know what the rules of engagement are. The problem is, is the rules of engagement shift every, not even every week, from every game day to day across the weekend. And that's why we're fed up and we can't, because we can't keep up. You know, it, it's an absolute lottery every, every call. And you know, it, it, the, the game itself is becoming more and more about um, luck. Um, really, um, than 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 any other um, and any other uh, determining factor, and that's what's frustrating everyone because we all want to sing from the same hymn sheet, and we're not we just do not have the opportunity to at the moment. Clint, the other area where it's a lottery is what Graham Annesley decides to talk about in these presses because <laughs> absolutely because there there are a myriad of things that they will uh, admit to clubs that were incorrect decisions. Right there, there will be, um, you know, half a dozen or more things that happen in a game, where the feedback when the clubs go through their appropriate channels mm-hmm. and they submit their reports to the NRL and the NRL get back to them about uh, about their reports, they will admit to um, decisions that were made that were inc- incorrect. And Parramatta's had more than their fair share of that. However, every week there are only certain calls that he decides to speak about now invariably they tend to be the calls that cop the most attention in the media right now let's talk about the next thing that came up in the media and again it's an outrageous call from Annesley and that's the Zach Lomax tackle on Andrew Davey now if you've ever seen a dangerous tackle something that qualifies as a dangerous tackle 
that is it. Because what we're talking about are a couple of things. First of all, the action was dangerous. Secondly, the intent was to cause damage. Now, I, I want to I want to specify that in in any tackle, a player is looking to cause, uh, you know, le- uh, make a legitimate impact on a player. You know, let them they they want them to feel that they've been hit. I mean, they're the best tackles, the ones that have have that sort of impact. But there's a line that can be crossed. And the NRL has been going out of their way to make sure that the game is tough but safe. Tell me in what world that tackle was safe in any way, shape or form. And there's Annesley talking about the technicality of his arm wasn't around the bloke's throat. Therefore, it's not a head slam. Excuse me? Let's talk about some of the other tackles that happen in the NRL where it's it's a bit far more about the outcome than about the action that happens or the supposed intent or, or putting a hand or an arm somewhere. I mean, we're talking about this was smashing a bloke down into the ground where his head is going to bounce into the ground. He went off on this... He went off for a head injury assessment, Andrew Davey. He's mm-hmm. slammed into the ground with force. It was a tackle where he was at best vertical, uh, uh, sorry, horizontal with the ground, marginally above the horizontal when you look at it because there was that lifting action as well that came in from Ben Hunt. So you've got a combination of a, a lifting action from Hunt and a slamming down action there are softer tackles than that that go on report and get suspension where the player themselves have contributed to the tackle by for, by moving their their body weight forward i know i'm rambling on fellas but i am just i'm flummoxed over that because annesley gave that the tick of approval john what what does that mean, a tackle like that getting the tick of approval? I mean, if you're a particularly psychotic coach and wanted to win at all costs, I'd be instructing your defensive uh, training to be changing right now. I'd be looking for opportunities to be uh, executing a uh, chess slam, uh, a legal chess slam at every op- like every possible or perceived opportunity because you will gain a massive tactical advantage. You'll be literally robbing your op- opposition team of players by virtue of concussion tests, that they're going to fail legally. Uh, so I have no idea. Oh, I said to you earlier today, 60s, we had a quick chat, uh, that it feels like Annesley must consult like a magic eight ball before he comes out of his answers. Because who in their right mind would say that that is a, a, a sound tackle technique that is good for the health of the game in an era where we are actively trying to promote anti-concussion like techniques? And here we are saying, no, this is fine. This is this is sweet. This is great. Yep. So before when I said that uh, uh, his interpretation of uh, Clint Gutherson's tackling action being one of a strip, he's more than doubled down when he said that that's a legitimate tackle. Yeah, exactly. That, that you know, doesn't deserve any penalty. I mean, I can almost guarantee... That if, and this, I mean, this 
this is where it gets into the realms where I'll, I'll, my bias might show through or or maybe a victim mentality, I don't know. But you, you just have this sense that if that was an Eels player that made a tackle like that, that they would have been marched, or at the very least had 10 minutes in the bin. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm not saying that the Dragons get an advantage of that. I, I You know, we've just so often seen Eels players uh, this year especially get either um, suspended or spent time in the bins in the sin bin for, you know, I guess, things that we've seen other other players uh, walk walk from. Um, well, how, and, how look, often this year in terms of not foul play but professional fouls have we seen an offside player get involved in a goal line stand uh, after a line break and then it's just been apparently sufficient go to the next set? Will Penasini got sin yeah. bin for that. And I thought that was the right call at the time, but it has not been upheld at all since including against yep. Parramatta. We've had opportunities on the goal line where a player in offside position has impeded our ability to spread the ball and it was penalty sufficient. Okay, well, let me throw now to Clint because uh, I, was, I sit next to Clint at the matches and Clint was losing his mind. Like a report <laughs> to list, he, he was completely losing his mind. He was, he was probably losing his mind as much for the fact that he couldn't swear because he had his young nephew with him at his uh, coming to his first Eels game. And he, he was ready for the expletives to flow, um, if not being yelled out, certainly not being yelled out, but certainly expressing himself to me in more colourful terms than what he could. And um, I've got so I've got a reply from one of our readers, Chris Kay, to our Instant Reaction podcast. And, he, and he's run through a number of instances. And Clint's issue at the game was all of the different incidents, be it offsides, be it interference in the ruck, where the whistle just was completely put away or near put away in the second half for a whole a whole series of indiscretions. But let's just go through um, some of them, Clint. Um, there was uh, Ravalawa uh, put on a shot um, early in the game, uh, not long before his first try. Sinbin? Yep. Well, we saw Mike Asifo Sinbin for, um, for for exactly that on more than one occasion, I think, this year. So, Dick? Yep. Okay. A professional foul committed by the Dragons just before Cardi's second try where they were slowing the play the ball down. Now, I know how you feel about the slowing the play the ball down at key instances because it was going on at lots of key moments. Yep. Um, you know, uh, John just touched on the point about Will Penasini earlier this year against the Roosters. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a supporter of, of, of the decision as well. But if you want to um, purposely slow down the play the ball um, of following a break or a half break that prevents the, um, the the team in possession, the attacking team, from having the opportunity to attack a fractured defensive line, that is a professional foul. Henceforth, a sin bin. Tick. Okay. Yep. Next one. Uh, Gutherson being held up and Laurie doing uh, making a, a tackle that wasn't too far away from looking like a cannonball tackle. Yep, uh, and any player in which they're, um, they're 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 held up in the like that Gutho was um, and, you know, um, the the cheap shot. You know, and, and we saw Gutho. You know, there was the whiplash that's there, and you know, for, for the better part of probably the last two seasons, whiplash has been used as a um, as a guide for penalising. Um, 
penalizing late tackles, m- more, most notably on on the kickers on the last. But um, you know, I, I think back to a number of years ago when this became very topical, and I think and John may be able to correct me here um, with um, when Riley Brown was playing for the Roosters, and there was um, there was the you know it was, it was the late man in and the and we we, we saw that whiplash action. We saw some plenty of instances across the course uh, across the course of the rest of that season that were um, very heavily penalised. And now it's like, well, you know, that's not topical at the moment. It's not, it's not the flavour of the month. But tick, he sh- <laughs> there should have been at the very least a penalty for that. Gutherson taken out of the play when running a support line. Uh, completely missed. And you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot back to you here, um, um, sixties, because uh, you were very fired up about that one. I think that was that was the, that was the play in which you you called out the touchy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I let rip with the flag boy uh, comments. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, letting him know what I thought of him missing it. Yep, yep. Um, a late hit on Moses when he was kicking. Oh, that that just seems par for the course now. It's 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 it's, it's almost as though that it happens with such regularity that it just gets forgotten about. But tick, he was hit late. Yep. And then um, this one's probably a bit of a fifty-fifty. It's not a. It's it's not so much a. Um, a, a shot from the Dragons, but rather a a fifty fifty call. We well, first of all, we we agree um, wholeheartedly that Bryce Cartwright played at the ball when uh, it was kicked through, and it gave the Dragons position for uh, one of their tries. But uh, the other one, uh, the with Dylan Brown, it, it might have been a bit more of a fifty fifty call because he was furiously chasing back, and the call and the kick in field. Um, absolutely um, skyrocketed into him and whether he was kicking at the ball, whether it was his running action that just made contact with the ball, bit of a 50-50 call. What what was your thoughts on that? Look, that call I can cop, um, but again, it's it's very much a case of as long as it's officiated and interpreted consistently. And I'm not sure that we see that, you know, yeah. um, I, like, oh, that, 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 that's where I would take, um, aim at with, with with something like that, but I, I was happy for that call to be the call that it was during the game. I I, I wasn't upset with that, but you know it it the, the, it becomes frustrating when you watch other games and you see uh, wasn't played at um, team retains possession. You know it, you don't like to get stuck in a cycle of what aboutism, but at at the same time, you know um, given the closeness of the competition this year in particular. These are these are, these are things that um, that when they compound across the course of the game, um, can absolutely change um, not not just the outcome of the game, but certainly um, certainly how how it builds towards the outcome. You know, yeah. um, it's you, you could be defending for another five minutes after something like that, or you know, it could be incidental, and suddenly you've got good field position because the ball's ricocheted away, and 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 you're you're you get a turnover um, at the point where the ball was kicked and. Suddenly, you're attacking. You know, there could be there can be point swings there. So, you know that, that that's the only time which is, oh, I guess, the position that you take in taking exception to those types of calls. But uh, personally, I was fine with that one. So I'm I'm neutral on that. Yeah, and I guess the other thing too is that uh, if the Eels wanted to roll the dice with a um, captain's challenge, there they were entitled to do that. Uh, they yeah. chose not to, which uh, <laughs> I, I guess leads them to think. Well, uh, Dylan certainly didn't go over and say. Oh, you know, I didn't play at it, so we'll give that we'll give that a, a tick as as the referee getting that one uh, correct yep. or close to correct as as 
as we can accept anyway. But, John, uh, out of all those, anything you want to um, add anything further to? Uh, Well, some of those calls make me question why we have touch judges. Um, Mm. You know, the fact that Gufferson got drilled off the ball attacking the goal line, uh, the one, the, the charge down that deflected into the kicker again, picked up by an offside dragon because the charge down obviously puts everyone onside, but then it touches the kicker again. He's now offside. Uh, and no one, none of the three main officials caught that. So, yeah, it's stuff like that that really gets you frustrated because you can cop some missed calls, like a, you know, a borderline forward pass going one way or the other. Uh, you know, that stuff happens. But when there are stuff that fundamentally these guys are meant to be looking out for and they're getting it wrong, and then we have Annesley come out talking about intent to strip on a full-strength try-saving tackle attempt, like, we just, it feels like we're getting the messages very much mixed up in uh, what's important when it comes to officiating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, the other fallout from the weekend came from the NRLW where Kennedy Cherrington was sent off for a nasty lifting tackle. And uh, without question, uh, there's guilt there with that tackle. It's, it's maybe not so much his intent as just getting it horribly wrong. It was a, it was a nasty-looking tackle. However, the big fallout is that She's effectively been suspended for just on half a season in getting a four-match suspension. Let's let's reiterate for listeners, the NRLW season is only nine games long. The NRL season is played over 24 matches. Now, that would probably be the equivalent of getting about a 10-match suspension in the NRL. Now, how often do we see, and and that was Kennedy's first offence. I I spoke to her on uh, Sunday afternoon back at the club about, uh, you know, what, what she was, uh, you know, how she felt about things. And she said, look, she's a, she said, I'm a clean skin. I haven't, haven't had to face the judiciary before. Um, And, you know, she was hopeful that it wouldn't be too bad. Well, unfortunately, Kennedy, they viewed what you've done as the equivalent of a 10-week suspension in the NRL. I'm lost for words, John. I'm absolutely yeah, lost for words. It's one of those... I mean, you know, we've got no problems if that was four weeks in an NRL season. Yeah. It would be deserved. Yeah, four weeks in an NRL season, you would have said, all right, they're not challenging the charge, uh, so it's the equivalent of taking the guilty. So, you know, maybe it might have been five weeks, you know, before the plea. So that's right in the vicinity of a dangerous tackle. You, you cop that in the chin, you move on. It comes back to what we're saying in the uh, the post-game show at Jack's Bar and Grill 60s. The the questions about was it, whether there was scalability in uh, how the MRC and the judiciary operate in the NRLW. And I guess the question is no, because it, it needs to be said that the entire judicial code of conduct when it comes to the MRC and the judiciary and their processes in the NRL is built, it's scaled, it's balanced around a 27-round regular season. So when you do something, when you make an indiscretion, you get it wrong, shoulder charge, high tackle, descent, as we saw with Reese Walsh and, and you know the, these incident with the referee, every bit of that conduct is scaled around how much it should cost you on a 27-round regular season and a four-week final series. And yeah. it obviously hasn't been scaled down to the NRLW, uh, in terms of the actual punishment on a 27-round competition, uh, she just got a 12-week suspension. 
Uh, it's like 0.444 repeated for what she got in, in NRLW, which scales up to 12 games. So when was the last time you saw a tackle in the NRL get that? Was it was it Hopawati uh, with the flying elbow on Keith Galloway? Was that the last time we had something of that magnitude? I can't remember. That, that would have been 04 when that happened. Yeah. Like, how long has it been since we saw a double-digit uh, like round or week suspension for a dangerous throw in the NRL? Yeah, no. Uh, uh, look, I can't. I can't remember. And it's, and I mean, what's the course? What what recourse has has the club or Kennedy got? There's uh, there isn't grounds to appeal. It is there. I uh, mean, it's that's just the decision. Yeah, they, they could they could they, they could have fought. I use fought very loosely at the judiciary tonight uh, for the grading, uh, but I don't think our argument of scalability would hold any grounds because that's a like a constant almost like a constitutional argument when it comes to the NRLW and you can't do that stuff in the course of a season that's an off-season matter well then it's an off-season matter of um, some importance it, it's it makes you, you have to feel for Kennedy in this regard because yeah she could have avoided it by by avoiding making a tackle like that but Again, we're we're still talking about in in a nine week season missing four weeks and for look, and for a first for a first offence. There was some extenuating circumstances there too. Maddie Jones didn't do her any favours in the context of the tackle because she was wrapped on the ball and was trying to sort of pull the ball carrier down and get the uh, the tackle completed just as Kendi started to drive in the tackle. Uh, but yeah, it is a cautionary reminder about using that tackle grip in between the legs, isn't it? Because just so much can go out of your control. Um, and yeah, you can get a good tackle out of it. But in that case, if a teammate's doing something else and pulling or pushing another way, it can take the tackle out of your control very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, uh, just in a bit of other Eels news, um, Clint, there was uh, some good results for the Eels lower grades. Uh, first of all, the Jersey flag had a massive, massive 48-10 to 10 victory over the Dragons. And just to provide context for people in this regard, that the Eels jersey flag team uh, prior to the weekend was in sixth place, uh, whereas the Dragons... Uh, sorry, was in seventh place. The uh, Dragons team was in sixth place, and it was an absolute shellacking. Uh, I've watched the match, uh, video of the match, and the Eels forwards absolutely smashed the Dragons, opened up, it, it then opened up plenty of opportunities for attack for the Eels, and uh, their backs certainly ran riot. Um, Buds Arthur, a screamer of a game, an absolute screamer of a game at dummy half, scored a, had a try double himself, Ethan Martin. Another great game, a try double for him. Uh, Matty Komalafi got a a try double. Um, <laughs> Richard Penasini inside of um, playing inside of Matt Komalafi was on absolutely on fire. Uh, Sanders and Lynn uh, got a got a try each, and Brock Parker he got the last try with a lot of hustle, getting chasing through a kick um, to to get that uh, the the final 
points on the board with, a, a, I think, less than a minute to go. But they now jump the Dragons, move to sixth place, and it's a race with the Melbourne Storm, who they defeated last week, for that fifth spot because it's only a top five in the uh, jersey flag. Uh, what's your feedback on that match, mate? Uh, massive swing results. And, you know, if, if there's the time to be coming home with a wet sail with um, with troops starting to come on board, and, you know, we, we referenced um, or alluded to last week in, in Teamless Tuesday last week, um, it was a very healthy-looking jersey flag site that was named. I don't think we probably anticipated them having um, this good of results, but uh, mighty helpful for them in the context of their season. And, you know, um, it's, it's almost a shame that after a, a game like that, they're going into the bye, and you know, you'd, all, you'd almost want to um, roll on with, um, with, with that type of performance into the next week. But... Um, you know, they, they've given themselves an opportunity. And, you know, I, I don't think there was a bad player on the field in, in that game, personally. You know, there's, there, was, there was a lot of guys looking very sharp. And as, as you alluded to, their 60s, a forward pack that was very hungry and rolled through. And, you know, some of those boys um, in that pack who have um, played plenty of New South Wales Cup games this year, um, and they're, they're, they're reaping the benefits of, of some of that more senior football and, um, you know, despite the fact they haven't necessarily got the um, got the the results or the chockies up in that grade, you know, you, you're better physically prepared for a grade like flag um, for it, regardless. So, you know, it's good to see them be able to uh, leverage that experience and um, use it to their advantage uh, in this game, a very important one. Yeah, and uh, that game was held on uh, Saturday afternoon, unfortunately. Um, when the uh, BGA luncheon was being held in Barramatta Leagues Club. So we weren't able to get out there and cover that. And likewise, the uh, New South Wales Cup match, also against the Dragons, was at another venue again. So it wasn't wasn't um, tied in with the uh, Jersey flag game over at Cabramatta on Saturday. No, it was played not as the curtain raiser. It was one of the curtain raisers for the NRL. Uh, match against the Dragons on Sunday. It was actually played as a standalone at Kellyville Park at 11am on Sunday. Uh, and unfortunately, again, that that does not allow for uh, too many people to be able to uh, get to that game and then get down to Combank Stadium, uh, get parking, um, enjoy the day at Combank Stadium. Or, in fact, for those of us that were involved with the uh, Blue and Gold Alliance. And I know there are, and I was talking to people in, involved in the Blue and Gold Alliance, some of the players, they were really disappointed that they weren't able to watch the um, New South Wales Cup team running around at the stadium on on Sunday as well. So, um, yeah, it's hopefully we can get a bit of, uh, bit of better timing, uh, scheduling with these matches, but... We didn't get to see it, but nonetheless, a massive forty uh, form turnaround for the Eels, uh, a forty-four to 10, uh, twenty-eight victory over the Dragons. Um, I was getting messages from Kellyville Park about how good the the Eels were performing in the first half, and about the form of certain players, including Brendan Hands, who mm. uh, was, was having a ripper of a game. Um, Clint, I know that you um, are familiar with someone who was up there watching the game. Um, <laughs> and, yep. uh, so you've, we'll, we'll, you've, Dad you've, was Dad was providing us the live updates, which is which is great. Um, you know, um, 
certainly given that we were um, we, we all had our own respective um, game day duties out at um, Combank. So um, shout out to Dad. Thank you for 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 the play by play and um, you know, he, he he cited and and then watching the highlights after him. Yeah, um, Brendan Hands had a, had had a very good game in that grade. Obviously, the score sheet suggests that Dejan Arcee was um, was heavily involved in well getting a hat trick. Um, you know, and no surprise it, those no surprise that both of those players are named in the Eels team this week. Then yeah, you know, and and given that um, both those players had spent quite a bit of time in first grade recently, you know, it's you know similar to what I said with Flegg, It's it's good to see some of those guys go um, you know go back down to that grade, and um, you know, although things maybe haven't been working out as well. As, as they um, had been um, earlier in the year in first grade, they can go down there and, you know, and, and, and dominate the way that someone who has been playing first grade should. You know, that's encouraging and that, 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 that helps build confidence for the likes of Dejan and for, for Brendan. Uh, had a couple of tri um, you know, and, and, and even Wonga Blake got on the board, you know, and it's, it's important that those guys back down there get a confidence-boosting uh, win like that? Because it's been a very tough season for, for the New South Wales Cup side. And, you know, if, if we're going to be any hope of making the finals in NRL, we need the guys that are on the periphery and, and push, you know, attempting to push back into the side, uh, firing on all cylinders as well and, and, and giving VA and the coaching staff some headaches uh, when it comes to team selections. Yep. So let's segue from that, 40, into... Team list Tuesday news. So, can you take us through the uh, big calls that have been made for uh, the Eels NRL NRLW teams? And uh, again, we remind people that the New South Wales Cup and Jersey flag teams have a bye this week. Yeah, BA is back to spot welding on that left edge, trying to find something that will hold together uh, as the Eels face down a fearsome opponent this week. Uh, out is the rookie. Uh, Arthur Miller-Stephen, he's dropped back and will have the week off given the, those buys you mentioned are happening in the cup and flag, so there's no football for him. Coming into the team is Dejan Arcee. He takes over at left centre, though, uh, so he's going to push Bailey Simonson out to the left wing and uh, coming into the starting left-edge back row is Andrew Davey, which bumps Ryan Madison back to his specialist interchange position, where I imagine, uh, given that we're taking on a fearsome Brisbane Broncos forward pack, uh, BA will probably want to try and load up in the middle and try and uh, compete with the likes of Haas and uh, Fle- uh, Flegler and uh, Carrigan as much as possible. And he's going to need you know every quality middle he can get. Yeah, and and it's going to be a challenge too because Dejan, uh, although he has played some uh, some centre, he's primarily a, a a man that's played in the halves. Um, or at fullback. And this is a specialist outside back position. We've spoken, I've written about it in the past, about the uh, options that the Eels have for outside backs. We've seen a um, a rookie having to make his debut last week on the wing. We've seen BA now this week against a heavyweight like the Broncos go for a little bit more experience in pushing um uh, Bailey Simonson out to the wing and uh, moving Dejan Arcee into centres. So um, he's hoping that that's going to provide the answers to the left edge wobbles. I think. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's hoping to provide the answers, 60s. Uh, there's no way to sugarcoat this in a great way. It's, it's pick a rookie winger up against Selwyn Cobbo and you know have the vast weight and size difference there, or it's pick a guy 
And Dejan's done some good things for us this year, but he had his defensive struggles at 5'8 for the Parramatta Reels, and now he's being pushed into the most technically challenging defensive position in the back line um, against a, a Broncos outfit that's going to have their field general back too, by the way. As is always the case of Parramatta games, it wouldn't be an opponent's uh, sort of game without core players coming back in. And uh, for the Broncos, <laughs> they get Adam Reynolds back. And uh, and not to be uh, slept on, but Kobe Harrington on the interchange is actually a pretty good player. Um, he's in there this week too. So they've got a very good team that's just gotten better uh, in time for Parramatta up at the Gabba. Yeah, and can I just say, look, I'm, I'm now looking back on that decision to challenge the to look get for a downgrade for Mike Acevo. Like he'd be done with his suspension. He would have been eligible to play for this game, mm. correct, yes. But like I didn't understand it at the time why they were uh, challenging the, the grading. And now I'm I have to question it even more. Uh, it's yeah, I, I, look, not that not that Micah had has been in great form this year, but you're still talking about a, a big unit being able to cover another, you know, big unit running at him. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a huge blow. Uh, Micah, even under form, uh, is considerably better as a specialist winger than any other option we have right now, and you know. <laughs> Going up against a, a big unit like Selwyn Cobbo, we really need as much size and quality as we can get on the flank, and we just don't have that right now. I know Bailey Simonson's going to go out there and give it his everything, uh, but the reality is with Bailey is he looks far more comfortable at centre than he did at wing. And then you, yeah. that, that's without factoring in that it's a you know fragile combination. That I say combination, they've never played uh, together as a centre three-quarter wing pairing uh, between himself and Dejan Arcee. So, yeah, it's a... It's hard to well, be confident in what that left edge can do up against a lethal Broncos right edge that is going to have, you know, Reese Walsh running off of Adam Reynolds and setting up Selwyn Cobbo, and that's Katoni Stagg's side too, so he's going to bring the physicality. Um, but, you know, we make do with what we have, and we hope that we can win the, the game elsewhere. Uh, so I, I, I just want to put a question question to you both. And, you know, uh, BA has is, is rarely um, been known for smoke and mirrors, um, in his time as as Parramatta coach, do we think that this is how the side will run out on Friday night? Is there the possibility that there might be some, you know, maybe positional uh, switches? Maybe Dylan Brown defends at centre, um, and Dejan defends uh, at five eight one one player in there. Um, I don't think it makes a difference. Does Brendan Hands possibly start at five eight and Dylan Brown at six, and you know we we, we reconstruct our attacking line. When we got the ball, but for the for the purposes of the defensive line, we have um, Dylan defending at centre and Brendan Hands at at five eight. I, don't your, know. In your first scenario, I don't think it makes much of a difference. I think the Broncos just pick on Dejan where he is, regardless of alignment at mm. centre or five eight. In Agreed. The, in the second one, uh, is it worth tinkering that much with the back line? I don't know. When, when we when we sent Dylan to the centres last time, I just end up putting him on an island where he just didn't get involved mm. in the game. So I it, yeah. The other the other thing is too that. Um, you get more edge problems created by the inside players um, than you than you do just with the simple jam from the winger, you know, or or, or the mm. or the centre making taking the wrong option. Nine times out of ten, and that might be harsh on Dylan. Dylan makes the right decision defensively, 
mm. which assists the players outside of him to make the right decision. Now, we saw that um, even if they're making the wrong decision, um, Dylan has that capacity to Push slide across, across and mm. cover behind them when the play goes past. Now, he wasn't able to stop Ravalawa because very few people um, trying to make a one-on-one tackle on Ravalawa five metres out and looking to take him take out his legs over the sideline are, are going to have some success. They did they did stop one, him once or twice, which was mm. a credit to the to the slide and the I think it was Artie on one tackle and Dylan on the other. Yep, but um, you probably got less chance of things going wrong with Dylan at 5'8 than uh, the inside player being Dejan. Um, I think Dylan, providing he's as switched on as he can be, um, is is communicating to his outside players and that they just, and that they follow um, the calls that are happening about where to move. So, um Look, I think we're, we're going to get into it in the preview podcast later in the week. But we know the team's going to be up against it. Uh, one question I did want to throw to you, Clint, was um, your thoughts on the inclusion this week of Brendan Hands and taking away a forward off the interchange bench for that to happen? Well, it's it's clear that we want to have Ryan Madison as a part of the middle rotation there and you know to, to um, some of the points that you were um, at that 40 was hinting at um, in in the um, in reading the team sheet you know we obviously view our best opportunity of winning this game is to take it to to the middle you know that's a it's a classic rugby league euphemism you know you you, you um, the forwards decide who wins the game and the backs decide by how much but you know the, the fact of the matter is, is we're going to have to be able to contain Flegler, Capel, and Carrigan, and our best chance of doing that is having Ryan Madison as a part of the middle rotation. Um, so, um, given he plays a lot of big minutes himself, and you've got um, Jermaine Hopgood who plays a lot of big minutes, uh, we're probably going to want to have um, three, at least three rotations for Junior, and you've got um, the guys in um, in Luca and Wiramu who will um, be a part of that. Uh, those relief minutes for him, and you know, and and, and likewise Joe Offengali who starts um, working around that. Um, you know, you, you you'd imagine um, that's uh, that we we freed up that spot um, for Brendan Hands um, because Ryan Madison plays so many minutes, and there wasn't going to be a point in having a, a, another four like um, Makatara Ogden on the bench to do that. And likewise, you know, um, I thought Joey Lusick was pretty solid on Sunday. But um, he, he was starting to fade towards the end of the game, energy-wise. And I think it's good to have that option on there, given that you know we, we probably want to have as, as fresh defenders in there as possible and our best defenders in there as possible. And you know, um, if Brendan can provide some relief minutes there or even potentially give um, some, some different options in the attacking line, because you know, it, it, it has to be um, mentioned again, you know, Brendan Hens is a legitimate utility. Um, he, obviously, he spent the majority of his time in his first-grade career at Hooker, but... You know, this is a guy with um, um, history in both the halves and at lock forward in the juniors. So, you know, um, he gives us he gives us a genuine a genuine utility option. I'll get the words out right, listeners. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but um, you know, likewise, um, hopefully, um, you know, with um, with Woody now back in the side as well, we've got our 
um, our explosive forward off the bench. We've got Matter, who we know will punch out at least 60 minutes. Um, we know Jermaine Hopgood will probably punch out somewhere between 60 to 80 as well. Um, we obviously want to have Junior being the senior leader and forward. And even though he hasn't been in the best of form this year himself, um, he's still someone that we look to in these games and with that experience that you hope will step up. We've got to give him the best opportunity to with the minutes um, that he's, he plays. And likewise, we've got to have the defensive structures around him to support that. It's probably a combination of all those factors that's led to Brendan's selection on the bench. And, and likewise, um, you know, um, Maddo being um, back part of the middle rotation, probably for um, all of his minutes, as opposed to the split between the edge and, and middle he had against the Dragons. And, um, John, you've got... Uh the NRLW team list to take us through. Yeah, so a couple of changes. Um, the team very optimistically named Kennedy Charrington to play in this game ahead of her trip to the judiciary. <laughs> um, and i, I got to respect the optimism there, but even with us knowing the result now, she was never going to be available to play this particular game. So she will be scratched. Uh, but outside of that, uh, we have technically a change back line from the one that was named last week to start on Team was Tuesday, but Kimberly Hunt made official at centre, uh, alongside Toi Hiku, they're the three and the four. Otherwise, it's an unchanged back line. Uh, in the halves, though, we do have a change. Uh, poor uh, Rosie Beckett, I think she had a concussion coming out of this one, boys. She's nowhere to be seen in the team list this week. Not in the reserves, not in the bench, not anywhere. But thankfully, Rachel Pearson is finally fit, so she's going to take her place in the team alongside Bahuka Berriman Duff in the halves. Uh, speaking of finally fit, Elsie Albert comes in in a timely return, given that there'll be no Kennedy. This team really needs a rallying presence in the middle. It's a damn shame we're not going to see the two of them play essentially almost any football together this year. Uh, but Albert comes into the starting team working alongside Talisha O'Neill in the front row. Uh, Murphy and Murphy are in the edges. Uh, again, Murphy named in the centres last week but was pushed onto the edge where I thought she had a pretty good game against Newcastle fellas. Uh, so she looked pretty good on the edges there. Uh, we do need someone to come into the starting team to replace Kennedy. I would imagine that maybe O'Neill pushes back to lock forward and then they bring in someone like Maddie Jones and then recall Ruby Jean Kennard-Ellis or someone of that sort of uh, ilk. Uh, but, yeah, the, the team going to be short to start right now. I have to figure out that reshuffle. Otherwise, I think Kyra Simon comes onto the bench and it's uh, the, that's the end of the changes there. So waiting to see what will happen with the Kennedy-Charrington move. Uh, but outside of that, that's how the Eels shape up this week. And they're taking on a very formidable team, boys. Uh, the Brisbane Broncos absolutely eviscerated the Cowboys last week. And I look at that centre battle and Mele Hufunga, uh, what what side did she play? Was she left edge? She's left edge, isn't she? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be a fearsome battle uh, there for the Eels. And I think that'll put her up against, uh, is that Cassie on the right for us? Or Kimberly? Just trying to. I, I, think, I, I think it's Cassie, isn't it, down the right edge? On, on the right, yeah. Yeah, and it's because Zali's the left winger and Cassie's the right centre. Mm-hmm. That's how I, the best way of remembering it. So uh, Cassie's been quite impressive to start this season, but she's got one hell of a assignment this week, boys, because her funger is an absolute beast. Yeah, yeah, and we're, and we're not saying that in a in in anything other than a no. rugby league mode. No, no, the, 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 it's the same way I'd describe Katoni Staggs or something like that. Yes. It's an absolute beast, like an animal like so hard to bring down and, and so damaging with the ball in hand. And we, we mentioned Melee, but that's not that's doing disservice to a ton of other players. I mean, Gal Broughton, you know that ex-Eels love to turn up against the club. I'm expecting her to have a big game. Ali Brigginshaw, one of the, the best representative halves in the game. Uh, they've got a great team. Gray and Tightsell in the back row. Uh, this is a, a very, very good team, one that's got a challenge for the Premiership. 
and the Eels, like I said, I thought even though the scoreline didn't reflect it, I thought they showed some legitimate improvement against Newcastle, uh, especially considering they were player down for most of the second half. Uh, but they've got to find another gear or two this week, some way, somehow, with the inclusions of Pearson and Albert, uh, if they're going to be competitive against this outstanding Brisbane lineup. Well, we we've spoken about. Um, them needing to find a line speed, and we'll we'll talk uh, we'll talk more about this in the preview, obviously. Um, but let's hope that the uh, inclusion of uh, Rachel Pearson can ignite the attack this week. Because as as I said, you even though the the scoreline got away from them, you were um, pleased with improvement in uh, in their attitude in defence, mm-hmm. John. And um, now they they've but they've got a. Um, start scoring some points and they've just simply been extremely hard to come by and that's understandable with uh, missing the their major signing of the season uh, being the halfback Rachel Pearson um, Clint uh, can you find any silver lining playing against the Broncos well yeah it, it, it'll be a challenge you know it, it's it's probably it's probably a bigger challenge than what our um, what, what what the NRL team faced, and they oh, yeah. their um, game against Brisbane. But um, you know, the, the, there were some good signs there in terms of uh, in relative to effort. You know, obviously having um, Kennedy um, sent off against the Knights was all, already going to make a, um, a a challenge all that much more. But um, you know, the, the fact that they were chasing the tackle and there was intent with line speed um, despite being a player down. Um, in, in that game, you know they they should they should look to um, to springboard from that, you know, and and, and getting both um, Elsie and Rachel into the side as well should be um, cause for energy and cause uh, and, and cause to go in with, you know, you know, they don't need to worry about the result when when you're in a situation like um, the NRLW team is in, you, you shouldn't be chasing the result. What you should be chasing is the next play and trying to do that as perfectly as you can, you know. Um, the old adage of um, laying, just focus on laying a brick to eventually build a house. Um, a result will eventually come with that type of approach, but you know, <laughs> it is the might of the Broncos who have been um, very strong in the NRLW um, as consistent inception. Um, they look very much likely to be up there amongst it again this year. So um, all, all you can do is take a play-by-play and set-by-set and give yourself the best opportunity to compete. And you know, who knows, we might take a result. Yeah, wise words there, Clint. I think uh, my take is that I think the Broncos are going to be the best advertisement for the extended NRLW season because in past years, if you drop the first two games, you could be up against yeah. it. Um, this year, they they've dropped the first two games because they're they're warming into their season. They're finding their new combinations. They clicked with an almighty bang last week, and some of those signings that they've made have just showed how dangerous they're going to be this season. And I think for the rest of the season, what you'll see them doing is getting stronger and stronger and uh, they will be a genuine threat. Okay, time to move on to NRL news. And John, RLPA and NRL are resuming talks um, to, to, I get... I guess come to some form of agreement. Do you see a light at the on the horizon? Well, it's not quite the end of the Cold War, but 
at least we're seeing something happen. And look, uh, it, it's hard to be, I'm, like, I'm going to be real, it's hard to be optimistic about like real progress happening given where they left off and some of the, uh, the egos involved, uh, as we've seen across the last few months. But, uh, you know, I hope for the sake of the game, for the sake of the players, that we can get to that compromise and uh, the players can get those assurances that they want, the, the non-salary cap assurances uh, for, you know, better long-term welfare for men, women, and former players in general. Uh, but, yeah, I, I will be cautious, not optimistic, but hopeful, I suppose. Um, I'm not sure if that's a, a great way of spinning it, but I, I do hope that something can get done because, obviously, it's for the sake of the game, and uh, we're now heading into, uh, you know, the finals are just about upon us, and then the season ends, uh, you know, first week of October. We're not that far away from having nothing on the table for season 2024, NRL or NRLW. So we need to get something done, uh, but at the same time, the players can't just concede what they're fighting for. Yeah, and I guess there's not too much we can say at this stage because we simply don't know whether they are going to be able to find some level of consensus, uh, some middle ground that they can get to. So uh, we move on. Uh, Clint, Nico Hines has been back in the media spotlight over his origin omission again all these all this time down the track but this time he's opening up about the personal pressure that he faced because of the focus that he was under like a self-perpetuating <laughs> cycle origin. how interesting and um i I do, do I feel like this is the we're tall, going around in circles? The, the tall here poppy that, was nurtured beautifully; it was fertilized and taken care of, then harvested, just to be built up again. Like the, it's beautiful in a really cynical way, isn't it? Yeah, Clint. Yeah, it's oh goodness, you know, it's. I mean, good on Nico for uh, for having the courage to be honest and open and forthright. You know, I. Um, I if it was me personally, I would probably um, have kept some of those thoughts within my inner circle as opposed to the, the media, but that's just me personally. Um, you know, because I, I'd, I'd be very wary of the media given given how um, how quickly he's risen and then subsequently fallen um, within their eyes to, to, to what you, uh, Jens just both alluded to. You know, I, I would very much be approaching the media with a... Um, um, uh, from being guarded, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So, you know, um, yeah, like again, brave of him to 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 say that. But um, you know, it, it's it, the, the the issue that we that I ultimately um, um, have with this particular situation is um, it, it's it's a very good case study for young players out there. And you know, we've seen the same with um, Joseph Suali'i. Um, over the over the last couple of years as well, you know they 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 built him up to a point where you know he he, he couldn't live up. It would be impossible for anyone to live up to the accolades, especially at the age that he's at as well. You know, like it it it, it was prime set up for fall, and you know um, it's I guess a cautionary tale for, for for some of these players. But you know, um, good on Nico for being able to to um, humble himself and 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 speak through some of those things and. You know, uh, from from a personal perspective, you know, you 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 hope he goes okay. Not not too okay from a competitive perspective because you know we're obviously competing with Cronulla for a final spot at the moment. Um, but um, you know, it's um, it's it's all part and parcel of your development. 
it's also probably an insight into the type of access that we have to players these days because you know in a, in a bygone era and you know not even that long ago you know a, a decade or maybe just a little bit longer ago we wouldn't have heard these types of thoughts from from players and there certainly wouldn't have been the level of vulnerability that um that nico has displayed as well so kudos to him for, for again having that bravery to do that um you know and we'll, we'll we'll see how how it all unfolds for him but yeah um an, an interesting thing for him to to open up with and Obviously, it's probably just exhausting some of those demons, given that they had a very relieving, albeit frustrating from an Eels supporter's perspective, uh, win over South Sydney and, on uh, the weekend. Staying with the Sharks, boys, a bit of breaking news coming out that uh, stalwart back rower, club captain and premiership winner, Wade Graham, is going to be hanging up the boots at the end of his season. So no surprises, his, his play has definitely tailed off in recent years with injuries and concussions mounting. Uh, but yeah going down as, what, a 2016 Premiership winner for them and, uh, you know, a very storied rep player for New South Wales and uh, probably one of the better back rollers in recent years. Yeah, our, our congratulations to him on his career and um, on knowing um, how how he feels about football and when it's time to give it away. And I think he's he set himself up for a bit of work in the media from here on in. So, hmm. uh, out, no doubt he's going to be staying involved in rugby league and and having a rugby league identity and setting setting oneself up after football is is probably a big part of the battle when players retire. Um, just I, I just wanted to make one comment about Nico Hines. I hope that there's something learnt in the Nico Hines situation for both the media and also for people who enjoy um, being part of social media and offering their opinions about what's going on or, or with different players. A player like Nico Hines, and he talked about it, can try to distance himself and shield himself from the media or from social media by just not reading it. However, his support network in checking in on him are basically letting him know that, that there were mm. things written about him and I've long banged on about the the fact that w- once you start getting into um, something more than just commenting about form um, on players and, the, and we, we take a strong stance on this on the Cumberland throw that we don't like abuse about players and um, you know we that criticism of form is, is one thing anything that crosses the line and becomes personal is completely different it's because that's a great example of how players, no matter how tr- hard they try, cannot be completely shielded from um, trolls or, or, or people that just want to cross the line. Because the thing is, someone in where, where they have all best intentions is still going to open them up to some of the comments that are going around out there. Um and in this instance, look, it wasn't too bad. It was all about the debate around his selection, non-selection for origin. But I think there's a lesson there to learn that it's damn hard to be a professional rugby league player and shield yourself from the background noise. It is just there even even when you think you've done your best to avoid it. So... Um, Bear that in mind, uh, anyone listening. If you if you like to throw shots at players, just be you know be aware that they're human as well, and 
that it can have lots of repercussions. And and you know what? A player's form can be the result of so many things that are going on in their life. Mm, absolutely. Away, even away from football. And, uh, and we've spoken to players about this and we've known the scenarios that have happened with players when they've been out of form and, you know, they don't want to be out of form. But that's the last thing that they want. And sometimes if their headspace has been distracted by other things, there's, you know, it's just not going to help their game. So anyway, um, moving on, uh, we've already touched on the fact that Adam Reynolds is back and we bemoaned the fact that this follows the pattern of, of opposition players, big name opposition players returning to their team. Returning, having milestone games. The Eagles, yep. <laughs> but just on the Broncos... Everything. Payne Haas going to market. And, of course, the interesting thing around him is one of his uh, his greatest, not one of his greatest, his greatest confidant, mentor, whatever you want to call him, player whisperer, uh, just happens to be Sonny Bill Williams, who has strong connections to the Canary Bankstown Bulldogs, who are strongly rumoured to be in the race to secure his contract should he leave the Broncos at the end of 2024, they're talking about him knocking back an amount of $1.1 million from the Broncos to seek a deal elsewhere. Obviously, the eyes will be firmly focused. I'm talking about the general public on if he leaves the Broncos, where he goes to, how much he signs for, and just how legit any particular deal is done because... I tell you what, any club that's prepared to stump up, you know, maybe one point three or one point four million for a prop, uh, they're they're going to have to answer about the rest of their roster. Yeah, that, that's my my immediate question is how do you pry? Uh, I mean, it's not a matter of how, obviously, lots of money, but how do you pry pain from the Broncos and also build a competitive roster? I I don't know how you answer that question without absurd amount of TPAs or obviously something beyond TPAs, which gets you in trouble if you're Gordon Tallis. Uh, when it comes to <laughs> talking about, but yeah, uh, look, it's this is a problem that in any salary cap system, it always rears its head where there is an absolutely elite, you know, borderline generational player uh, in a position that is valued. Like props are incredibly important players, but they're not as good as halfbacks or fullbacks or five eights or dummy halves, uh, and you can't pay certain positions the premium playmaker position money and expect to be competitive long-term. Like, you might get a good season as a team together if you happen to have a gun crop of juniors coming through and pick up some bargain buys elsewhere that, you know, fit in really nicely. But as a long-term, you know, blueprint or schematic, it, it does not point towards sustained success. So, fascinated to see how this one plays out. You know, obviously, Payne House would be great as an eel. But again, uh, you know, how do you squeeze him into our team and remain, remain competitive? It, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit together. So... Whether it's the Bulldogs, the West Tigers, the Roosters, I mean, you talk about that Sunny Bill connection. Does that point towards the Bulldogs, or does it point towards the Tricolors? Uh, I think he's got. I think hasn't he currently got his connections with the Bulldogs and doing some work around them? But on, if, if on, you, I, I know, obviously, when you're on the books, you're on the books. But in terms of player experience in the modern NRL, if you're Sunny Bill, are you pointing towards you know Belmore or to Bondi? Uh, you know, two two vastly different experiences for him. You know, he came back to Bondi and had so much success there. So, I don't know. It's a fascinating thing that you're looking from the outside in on, though. Um, and yeah, and I was just going to throw this to Clint as well because by way of comparison, 
we've had Corey Horsburgh just um, his extension at the Raiders has just been announced and it averages out at about 600,000 a season for four seasons. So mm. he's a, he is now a an origin prop. He's signing for an amount that would be, um, well, $200,000, uh, well, $800,000 less potentially than what um, Payne Haas is signing for. Um, and if you want to talk about the other, other end of it where you've got other um, origin props at the Eels in in both Junior and Reg, and they're around about that 750, 800,000 mark, they're really top of the range in terms of the money paid for uh, for props in the NRL. Um, and again, you're talking about the money for Payne Haas absolutely dwarfing their contracts as experienced representative players. So Corey Horsburgh, relatively new representative player, 600000 a year for the next four years. Junior and Reg around that 750, 800 mark. Very experienced rep forwards. Payne Haas, potentially at least 1.1, potentially 1.3, 1.4. Like, what a, how the diminishing returns once you get past RCG and Junior, like, start becoming pretty heavy, don't they? Uh, mm. In terms of like Payne Haas, best prop in the game. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He is an incredible athlete, he's young. You know, his, his best football is ahead of him unless he has a serious injury, which is always a possibility, uh, but that's a risk of any contract. But at 1.1, 1 1.2, 1 1.3, 1 what is what, you know, 1.3 plus is legitimately what it might take to pry him uh, down from Brisbane and, and get him into Sydney. You're talking about Junior Paulo or Junior Barlow, sorry, or Reg, plus another $500,000 player. You know, well, like, you, you, you are close to basically saying... Um, you could either sign one Payne Haas, or you or, could sign a cause, or, uh, or you could, or you could sign uh, Corey Horsburgh plus either yeah, Junior, junior or RCG. Yeah, just, right. So two, you could basically sign two Origin props or one Origin prop. So what's the best balance for your team? Well, you know what, you've if, if you spend one point two to one point four on one prop, you are sacrificing probably around, you know, five or 600,000 of your cap on yeah, one player. Crazy. Like you're, you're sacrificing another star player signing to mm. make that one. And then if that it's player is out in the season mm. and only face mm -hmm. this, with Tom Travojevic, don't they? Because he's yep. he up north of that $1 million mark. So every time they that he's out for his extended periods of time, their salary cap um, that's available to them is immediately down by more than a tenth. So, you know, that's the, that is the price of, of someone like that. So, um, yeah, interesting yeah. space to watch. To, to me, it's it's akin to going all in on a tech stock. You know, you might buy it at the right time and 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 be on a really good company. You can ride the wave, um, you know. But they're they're also just susceptible to the, the overnight crashes as well. And you know, um, not 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 to not to hijack this into a um, financial podcast. Maybe we'll do that <laughs> in the off season, boys. Um, and but um, you know, it's 
yeah, he could pay absolute dividends for him, but um, you know, uh, wh- whoever he may potentially go to, that is. But you know, um, uh, Forty said it best: law of diminishing returns. You know, and you 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 you're going to a point where you're absolutely sacrificing the not just um, um, future years, but um, you know, um, p- potentially the makeup of your club because. When when one player sees a certain level of that, yeah, say say, say a hypothetical like this, um, Payne's form um, form drops, and you've got other players in there who are carrying that load or feel as though they're carrying that load, but they're on three hundred k a year. They go, well, this guy's earning a million dollars more than me, and I'm making half yeah. his tackles for him. Serious you contract know, agitation. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm. I, I should be worth at least six hundred k myself. Well, we don't have the ability to pay you six hundred k. Well, stuff this. I'm going across to X Club, who are at least going to give me 450k a year, because mm-hmm. at least I'm going to get a um, a 33% increase on my salary now. And to so, to spin the indefatigable Susan around and change the perspective to Paynes, he also needs to be wary. And you, you look at players like Matt Burton and whatnot mm-hmm. about going to a club that will offer him 1.3 million. I mean, if he's happy to just be financially set up for the maximum amount of compensation, that's one thing, but. You know, elite players tend to like winning. Normal, like, you know, average players tend to like winning. So when you, you take that big offer and you end up, you know, going to a club that has its cap crippled, like whether it's the Bulldogs or any of the other suitors that are, you know, being linked to him, that that is a very legitimate question he has to ask himself is, how much is it worth to him? How much is the extra dollars worth, you know, for not playing finals football or being, you know, mired in mediocrity, being one and done in the finals and in a team that just can't, build a structured roster uh, that has, you know, serious credentials to challenge the premiership. And that's the reality that would face him, taking that sort of um, money elsewhere. So, look, Brisbane are set up for long-term success uh, as much as it, it frustrates me, seeing them back to being a powerhouse. Mm. But, uh, you know, it, realistically for him, he he needs to think very hard about maximising his, uh, you know, notional value under the dollars and maximising his value for his career uh, in terms of success, uh, because yeah, we talk about diminishing returns on the salary cap. There are also diminishing returns in life. Like you know, mm-hmm. your, your dollars can only go so far when you're already earning a million dollars. Like yeah, you mm-hmm. can accumulate more wealth, uh, but you're already living a life of luxury. So um, if yeah, you, you're not worried about the cost of, of of a coffee or the cost yeah, of it, groceries it, at that point. Exactly, you know? it's different to the guy who's on the minimum wage contract who goes, oh, you know what, I probably can't get premium beef mints this week. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. The the guy that's on you know NRL minimum wage, so 110, that gets bumped up to 150. That is a you know significant change in his. It's uh, life changing. Yeah, exactly. Whereas for pain, now, now I can put a deposit on a house versus yeah. versus you know that that um, I'm I'm having to uh, share a rental apartment. And and again, there's a lot of nonsense. If if pain is unhappy at Brisbane because of other stuff, then yes, that also justifies a move. But. Yeah, don't just chase the dollars. Is when, when you're when you're in that sort of earning bracket, don't just chase the dollars. Well, uh, and the other big news in the NRL, and it's about moving clubs, is Sam Burgess. He's picked up a gig as a coach in the Super League with Warrington. Refresh Free Warrington. Warrington. Yep. Now, um, quick comment from you two fellas, and it, it need only be one word as well because. Again, we're yet to see what will happen. But first thing is, will South uh, miss him as uh, an assistant coach next year? Like, will it impact their team's performance? 
And secondly, um, how soon do you think you will see him return to the NRL in a head coach capacity, if at all? So, um, Clint, your answers to those two questions? Uh, South won't miss him at all. Um, they're a well-resourced club. He'll be replacing him. He is, he's, he's, he's good for culture there, but, you know, um, and I don't want to be disingenuous because I don't know what he's, his role there is, but um, there, there's, a, there's a good nucleus of, of coaches at South Sydney. So they'll be able to manage his departure. Um, in terms of um, how soon we see him back, do you say exclusively in a head coaching capacity? Yeah. Um, if that, I don't think we'll see him be an NRL head coach. But you know, happy to be proven wrong. Um, you know, I, I kind of liken this not too dissimilar to um, you know Benji becoming head coach at the Tigers in a couple of years. Um, you know, I'll, you'd like to have seen them, I guess, have a little bit more coaching pedigree before they um, ascend to those types of roles because you know it's very different to um, drawing up some set plays and. And, and some training drills. And again, I don't want to lighten, uh, um, cheapen um, um, what they do down to just that, to having to deal with all of the media scrutiny, um, the, 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 constant, the constant media pressures. Um, you know, you, you, you're, not, you're not an afterthought the way you are as an assistant coach. You're the one that's, that's in um, front and centre of absolutely everything from a promotional perspective of the club. You're the, you're, you're the face of the brand. You know, there, there, there's a lot of um, a lot of extra responsibilities that come along with being the head coach, as well as along the, a lot of extra pressures. And you know, um, part of the reason that you see, I guess, the average age of NRL coaches. You know, what might be able to help me out here? I'm just going to throw a ballpark figure out there as as, as mid forties is because you know some of these guys, whether they're ex players or they're um, or they've been involved in around footy for a while. It takes a while to get the the credentials and as well as the um, the emotional temperament, and not to suggest that those guys don't have that, but um, you know it, it, it's just by virtue of experience. It's just um, you know, applying your trade and 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 earning your stripes, as opposed to you know these guys who are only a few years retired. Um, you know it, it it'll be a lot more demanding for them, and given the the recency of their retirements, um, pressure on them because they're they're still relevant names. So there comes a lot more unwanted attention because of that. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying necessarily that it's a bad idea, but I question whether it's the right time for Sam to be doing that. But you've got to take the opportunities because, you know, life doesn't wait for you to be ready. You've got to, you've got to be ready to, to go for it. So wish him all the best and, and, and all the success. And, um, you yeah, know, hopefully he goes all right over there. Yeah, John? Yeah, there was a lot of hype for Burgess on uh, NRL Tonight and NRL 360 today. And I was uh, sort of like scratch my head, like, did I miss a memo? Um, <laughs> but, you know, evidently he's a, outside of like some of his off-field stuff, which, you know, wouldn't have affected a lot of people inside the game. He's quite a likable individual and a lot of players are, are drawn to his, you know, personality. So, you know, that sort of has the makings of a player's coach. But like uh, Clint dived into, there is a lot more to being an NRL head coach than there is to being an assistant head coach. It is probably, you know, you talk about, the jump for, you know, a jersey flag or cut player coming into the NRL and the speed of the game changing and how difficult it is. Um, arguably, the jump from assistant coach to NRL head coach is even more difficult. Uh, you know, you you are taking on a mountain of work. You have so many responsibilities, so many things you need to be thinking about at all times of day. Um, you know, mm. it's it takes a very certain type of person to be an NRL head coach. That That is my estimation of it. Um, there, there aren't many that are cut out for it. It, it is a high-pressure, high-leverage, 
ruthless, you know, field. Um, you know, th- there is barely any failure tolerated. Um, and going to the ESL was a good place to cut his teeth. I think that's the right move for him. I'm not sure if it's the right move in terms of the chronology of it or if he's ready, but, you know, he's going to go to Warrington and he'll have a lot of support because he's a cult hero, uh, you know, as one of the most uh, storied poms in recent memory when it comes to rugby league. Uh, but I'm, I'm not convinced he'll come back and be an NRL head coach, although the uh, panels on NRL Tonight and NRL 360 were, you know, talking about not only coming back but winning a premiership and, you know, and, and voting for that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the data yeah. says the numbers say the odds aren't good um, in terms of former players becoming successful head coaches it, it's just hard so you wish him the best um, and it'd be a cool story if he does uh, but right now I'm not holding my breath well I'll I'll cut to the chase A won't be missed B uh, will not come back as a head coach um, unless he's either takes the English Super League by absolute storm and is regarded as um, an absolute revelation as a coach, and then B, that there is a a club uh, prepared to roll the dice on a rookie coach, and you know what clubs that normally falls to. And even taking the ESL by storm is no guarantee of NRL success. Mm. That's what I'm saying. It's a club that has, has struggled for success as well. You know they've they, they, they've been chasing an elusive title for quite some time. They've been there thereabouts for a number of years, but not 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 made that final jump. Yeah, so they're going for an identifiable name rather than an identifiable coach. And as I said, I think um, should he come back, I think it's only likely to go. Uh, he, he'd only get a gig from a club that is genuinely prepared to roll the dice. So. Now we wrap things up, fellas, and um, I almost feel, John, like we should have another stinger here at some point. And given the lack of a stinger for this, I'm going to either start you off with a, ooh, yeah, (laughs) or uh, if you smell what I'm cooking, or uh, uh, perhaps a woo on this because... Because we've got another wrestling move introduced. It's the scorpion tackle, or if you're if you're familiar with your wrestling moves, it's probably close to a reverse camel clutch, but it's reared its head in the NRL last weekend. Yes, it's been dubbed the scorpion tackle. Can you talk me through this, John? We're gonna. I've been thinking about this for a while. We're gonna have to do an off-season article and, and find out what might be the most effective, you know, professional wrestling moves to bring into the game. Because right now, you could do a spine buster. You could do the uh, sorry, not the people's elbows, a post-try celebration in NRL. But you could do a rock bottom. I mean, the rock bottom is actually the natural extension of the uh, the uh, what's his name uh, from the drag- Zach Lomax. Zach Lomax tackle. It is literally you know just going across the chest and slamming someone's head into the ground. Uh, so yeah, the. This one came out of the Cowboys and Broncos NRL game, and um, I sort of missed it initially, but it, it popped up in the media as a bit of a furor, and there was a, you know, the whole war of words about the intent behind it. But yeah, essentially, uh, there's some footage out there, some stills and whatnot about Cowboys players getting a Broncos runner who's on his belly in the ruck and uh, you know, sort of grabbing the leg and pulling it back over uh, their back in, in sort of like a reverse scorpion tail sort of uh, setup. So... Yeah, it's uh, (laughs) 
the the wrestle, eh? While, while we're dealing with the big issues like Quentin Guffers and obviously stripping the ball, uh, in a <laughs> you know a full stretch tackle, these are the ones that are popping up. And yeah, it's a, it's always interesting whether there's intent behind this stuff. Like I said, I'm I'm not super well versed on uh, how many instances of it in the game there were, uh, but it's one of those ones to monitor. If it pops up again and it becomes a bit of a pattern, then we might just have a new wrestling technique. Uh, Clint, what's your what's your take on it? Could you? I mean, is the scorpion the ideal name to give it? It sounds like we're from Forty's description, like it is that tail of the scorpion being uh, bent back. I, I want to know who's given the responsibility of coming up with these names, and then and then you know it's, it, it it becomes um, rugby league folklore that is forever known from henceforth from this day it shall be known as the scorpion tackle. Um, secondly, I also want to get those um, sound bits on a, on a soundboard 60s. I think we absolutely have use of those as stingers in the future. Um, you, know, you might even want to give our listeners a, 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 another sneak preview so they don't have to rewind back. <laughs> but um, the, um, well, the, let, me, the, let me just say, here's a, here's a teaser uh, because I, I, I got to interview a player from the Eels past from the lower grades and uh, one of the reasons he was a crowd favourite was that the ground announcer used to always say, and that try was scored by Julio Pomponio. <laughs> so, yes, we have an interview with Julio uh, coming up in, in our uh, Blue and Gold Alliance uh, special feature coming up this week. So, um, oh, there you go. <laughs> That's a pretty good callback. Speaking of the uh, <laughs> sort of the Brazilian football announcer shout out there, uh, good to see the Matildas progressing through into the quarterfinals as well. I know it's not rugby league, but that was a good game they played against Denmark. Well, can I just uh, let you know too, John, that uh, Yoko has suddenly become a big supporter of the Matildas given the talk that's out there about a public holiday. So <laughs> um, she's uh, had pretty much, as a Kiwi, she's had zero interest in in what's been happening with the Matildas. But uh, her ears pricked up tonight when I let her know that there's talk of a public holiday. And uh, I think all the support's going to go behind their <laughs> next few matches. <laughs> and rightly so. <laughs> so, uh, okay, fellas. Well, look, uh, we've come to the end of another news episode of The Tip Sheet. Our thanks again to everyone who's tuned in to this and uh, and all those people that give us a bit of feedback, whether it's on the TCT website, whether it's on our social media platforms, whether it's getting in touch with us and sending us messages, whatever the case may be. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate your support across all of the platforms on which it's available. I can also ask that if people are listening to this on YouTube, that you do subscribe to the YouTube channel and our YouTube channel because it does help with all the metrics and and how everything is worked out with their algorithms. So um, that would be great if you could do that. Have a uh, subscribe, like the the podcast. That would be uh, fantastic if you could do that. Um, Our thanks to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Our thanks again for the weekend with Parramatta Leagues Club hosting us as allowing us to host their uh, post-match 
uh, event in Jack's Bar and Grill, as always. It is the home of the Eels Parramatta Leagues Club, and we appreciate being involved in making sure that it's a place for Eels supporters to gather both before and after the game. John and Clint, thank you again for another fine performance uh, tonight. And as I always say, go you mighty eels.